Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 228 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Wednesday evening. Opening day is less than 48 hours away for the Atlanta Braves. And joining me for the final pre-2020 season show, both Eric Cole and Scott Coleman are here. Hello, gentlemen. What's going on? Yeah, good to be here. Never thought we would get to this point after months of just random stuff on the podcast, but happy... uh, Barring something catastrophic, happy to have baseball here in the next day or two. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm actually <laughs> to the point now where I can make you know like fantasy baseball trades and uh, you know feel like something actually is about to happen the next day or two. So I'm I'm pretty excited to kind of get this rolling because even just having the exhibition games on the last couple nights has been really nice. Yeah, I'm knocking on the wood uh, countertop that I'm standing next to right now to make sure that we actually get there. But I, I assume that. Baseball will be played Thursday. There are two games scheduled that count. Uh, none of them are of the Braves, but there are two games scheduled that are that are going to be in the standings. And then Friday, the Braves open uh, in the afternoon with a, a matchup that we're all looking forward to of Jacob DeGrom and Mike Soroka. It doesn't really get better than that, so it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Before, yes. uh, we're going to spend, I would say, half or at least more than that probably on this probably shortened show. Uh, talking about our final predictions. Uh, that's why we're coming together midweek to make sure we get this off before the start of the season. But there is enough news that's built up in the last three days. I feel like we have to touch on some of this stuff. Um, first, we called it on the last show when we talked about Matt Adams. And uh, hours later, Matt Adams signed a minor league contract with the Braves. And then uh, he homered uh, to walk it off to walk off an exhibition game. That was fun. Uh, but yeah, Matt Adams is here. Uh, he... Before we get into Matt Adams, he was bad last year. Um, he did slug almost 500, but that was about it. Uh, but a guy who obviously hits right-handed pitching, we talked about this ad nauseum the last three or four podcasts, the Braves need someone to hit right-handed pitching. He conceivably does that. That's why he would be signed, and he's also an old friend. But um, whoever wants to jump in first, uh, Matt Adams' reactions, other than the fact that we should pat ourselves in the back? You know, it's not. it's one of those situations where the fit almost made too much sense. Uh, there's a lot of people who are like cl- clamoring for Derek Dietrich too, which I, I just don't think is going to happen at this point, especially since they can't already pull the trigger on the Matt Adams deal. But, um, you know, this is a bench. This is a bench slash worst case scenario against right-handed pitching type option. Um, I think that if the, if Matt Adams is regularly in the lineup against righties, then we have some real problems with the Braves lineup in terms of their production against righties. But, you know, in terms of, like, having that bench bat that you can bring in to, you know, face right-handed relievers or, you know, maybe, like, you know, make a spot start here and there, you could do a, far, a lot worse for Matt, than Matt Adams, especially when it seems like some of the other roster decisions 
regarding first base uh, may lean towards ha- possibly have, needing to have a backup on a different backup for Freddie. Um, that now whether or not that's you know going to be something that ultimately plays out very much, given what we know about how Freddie likes his playing time and all that. But you know, you know, we also have the DH to consider too, and maybe in some weird situations, this is a guy you could throw in there too. Uh, the short answer is I was fine with the signing. I mean, it's kind of it's a low risk thing, and you know, when you, a, a team that needs this kind of lefty bats, he has some upside to be sure. And we saw that when he was with the Braves, he played pretty well for them uh, when he was only at first base. Once they started putting him into the outfield, it wasn't good. But, um, you know, other than that, you know, I was totally fine with it. Yeah, I think it's worth a shot. I mean, there's, there's only so many options out there two days before a shortened season, three days, whatever it was when they signed him. Um, again, somebody they were familiar with. He, he did a nice job in a couple of years ago as, as Eric mentioned, and just kind of some first base emergency insurance. Again, you lose Mark Kakis' left-handed bat. Um, as Eric said, you don't necessarily want him batting in the middle of the order more times than not, but uh, you can do worse. And I think if you hope that last year was maybe an aberration and he's able to get back to the guy he was before, 117 WRC plus over his career, uh, 114 in 2018. So, um, And it's not as if he's some ancient 40-year-old hitter by any means. So I think it's worth a shot. Again, it's a minor league deal for now, and, and you can easily cut bait, uh, cut bait with him whenever you need to uh, should the situation arise. As kind of bleak as this is, uh, there is a real world in which Matt Adams is the best DH option against right-handed pitching on, on the roster. <laughs> um, I'm not telling you that's the case for sure, but if you were to play Ozuna in the outfield uh, – you know there aren't that many options, and uh, he might be the, the, the crop. So now that 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 is only true if he is the guy he was earlier in his career. And that's what I mean. Like, like that's yeah, why it's yeah. a baby. If he is that guy, um, if we assume, for instance, I'm not. And this, and by the way, we cannot do this. But if we assume he is the guy that he was the last time he was in Atlanta, or you know, basically for his career against right-handed pitching, then he flat out is the best DH option against right-handed pitching yeah. on the roster. But we can't assume that, obviously. So that's why he's available on a minor league deal. I just want to say that out loud. Like, There's a world in which this is really nice and a really effective uh, role combined with a player, or he, or, or he flames out and he's the guy who was last year and you don't want to play him. Um, those are both definitely options, but uh, this is, as, we, as, as you both said, a low-risk, basically no-risk move, and it just made so much sense that he was available and the Braves needed that kind of player. Obviously, it's better if you don't need him, um, but you might end up needing him. So we'll see what happens. I just wanted to we start there because that was, I guess, the biggest news. I know there were other news things that we'll touch on now and kind of these sort of correlate in some ways. Um, Charlie Culberson was officially added to the 40 man. Um, and honestly, I think early on, like, you know, the roster is due. The 30-man roster is due on Thursday at noon. We're recording this about 10 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday. So, you know, 14 hours from now, the roster is due, and we'll know what's what it's going to look like. I'm expecting Culberson to be on it. I'm expecting at least one of Matt Adams and Yonder Alonso to be on it. Um, eventually, those guys might battle for that final spot as the cutdowns begin two weeks and four weeks from now. But I, I think the addition of Culberson to the 40-man is essentially a signal that he's going to be on the roster tomorrow and then uh, either either Adams or Alonzo will probably join him um, and that assumes of course everybody else is healthy Johan Camargo looks like um, 
at least he, at least he passed his tests or so to speak today. He's not going to be on the IL. It looks like so he'll, he'll at least be on the roster. He may not be available on Friday, but he'll be at least, he'll at least be around. But it does seem, at least to me, like it's going to be Culberson and either Adams or Alonzo, and I would I would lean to Adams. Does that sound right to you guys in terms of the uh, final uh, position players? Um, I think that if they were happy with what Yonder Alonso was doing, then Matt Adams probably wouldn't be an option, if that makes any sense. Uh, I think that the signing was kind of made with the understanding that they felt like that they had a better a better chance of signing Adams and using him in that capacity. So, yes, is the, the short answer is I, I, I tend to agree that I'm – it's not like a sure thing. There, there's certainly a lot of factors that go into this, and I guess there might be some crazy weird scenario where all three of these guys get on and someone that we're net, none, none of us have really – projecting to not be on the roster won't ends up not being on it. But um, overall, I tend to agree is that Colberson seems like a pretty sure thing. Uh, and I feel pretty confident about Adams Cause again, I think if yonder Alonzo wasn't, you know, if, if, if he was producing and he was doing what he wanted them to do, then he would kind of be in that Matt Adams role. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I think because they had yonder for the spring and in the last couple of weeks, I think I lean towards Matt Adams, too, in that scenario. We'll see how they feel about it. But, um, again, you have to, as Brad alluded to, they really only have about two weeks until they have to make another two roster cuts. And I think these are two guys who are primed as possible casualties whenever they have to go down from 30 to 28. Um, But, again, because they were playing with the DH, there's just fewer and fewer chances where you need to use the bench player. They'll still use them at times, but, you know, based on lefty, righty, all that good stuff. But, um, again, because you don't have to account for probably at minimum two pinch hit appearances uh, per game, you really just don't lean on your bench like you do with the National League rules. For sure, and that's something we've talked about, but it's worth emphasizing again now because, um, you know, I, I, I identify with this as well. It's hard to wrap your brain around if you've been following the Braves as the team that you followed the closest for so long, um, kind of having to recalibrate roster spots and what you actually need with the DH and lack of pinch hitting and you want to carry less position players because you just don't need them as much. Um, that stuff's all kind of still filtering into my head, but eventually I think it seems pretty likely that the Braves will be carrying 13 pitchers and 13 position players because there's a 13 pitcher cap when there's a 26 man roster. But, uh, I think across the league, it feels like everyone is going to probably be, do- be doing that 13, 13 split because everyone has a DH now and you just don't need that many bodies. Um, if you have a DH. So there you go on that. The, uh, the other addition that the Braves brought in as another old friend, uh, and that is Yoli Shasin, the 32 year old former Brave. He was pretty bad last year in 2019. He was pretty solid before that for a few years, uh, I assume this is about depth, which is okay. I understand that you know everyone wants depth right now, especially with all of the uncertainty with starting pitching across the league early on in the season. Um, you're hoping that he probably isn't going to be a factor, but at the same time, he's in that tier with Josh Tomlin and maybe Bryce Wilson of guys who might have a role early, and if he, if he pitches well, the Braves obviously have familiar familiarity there and he's been a major league quality pitcher in the past it's just again kind of like Adams he was bad last year so the last thing we saw from him was not good um I know at least one of you offline and I'll let you out yourself right now uh the the first reaction we talked about this uh, previously was uh please don't let uh, please don't let this uh bury Kyle Wright and uh, that would be my concern as well you want Kyle Wright to pitch but other than that I'm okay with this yeah I think it because you don't have Felix Hernandez, you don't know what you're getting with Cole Hamels. 
Um, you just you aren't entirely sure. While we, I think, all hope that Kyle Wright and even <clears throat> other young pitchers on the staff can take a step forward. You just they've never done it before, even not even over a whole year, but consistently for months at a time. So I think again, there's no risk to this. I think you can take a chance on him. Um, hopefully he's not making starts. I would much rather give those starts to Kyle Wright and see what he can do against big leaguers, especially in this shortened kind of funky season. But again, he can be bullpen depth. He could be rotation depth, especially if something happens to uh, one of the other four starters, uh, you're going to need somebody to make starts for you. And, and you may not necessarily want to throw the young guys out uh, into the fire like that. So again, it, there's really not a ton of upside here, even when he was pretty good, at least on a surface level, in 2017, 2018, there was a little bit of smoke and mirrors there. He outperformed uh, his ex-FIP considerably. Um, and then last year, they they changed the ball, and he got absolutely hammered uh, by the home run ball. So um, I was kind of indifferent on it. I hope it doesn't take innings away from the young guys. And But again, you, you can't really get burned too badly with something like this. Yeah, and I think it's important that the, the, the opinion that Brad vo- voiced that, you know, as long as they're not taking innings away from the young guys, particularly Kyle Wright and some of these top prospects, then I think that was a pretty popular opinion between Scott and I. Um, if you're if looking if you're looking to that sample and if that means anything, um, I, I I agree with Scott, and I think that one of the things that's important to realize too is in terms of rotation depth is that you lose Cole Hamels, you're not exactly sure who, what guys you're gonna be maybe sending back to you know the the continued camp over Gwinnett while the, while the, the rest of the player pool scrimmages against each other while the major league season is going on, but there's going to be a lot of piggybacking of starts happening. And if you think that's going to be the case and you really want to be doing a lot of that early on in the season, when you have 20 games in a row, then having some extra, you know, just arms that can throw three innings are on your roster is going to be something that's advantageous. And in Justine's case, he, he fits that bill fine. He's an arm you're familiar with. Maybe you think that you can get a month or two that's pretty good out of him. They've already they've already done it once. He was pretty good for the Braves, and then they traded him for an actual prospect. So <laughs> you know maybe it's so it's possible that you know this it's a situation where they feel like they can get something out of him. You don't need a lot. Uh, it doesn't have to be for you know an entire season in this particular case. Um, will he be competing for? I think he's gonna be kind of competing in that second half of piggybackings, you know, like the, the, the Tomlin, the, the Tukey, the Bryce Wilson type slots right now where you're going to be kind of wanting guys to go throw three innings or at a time before you kind of go into the meat of your bullpen. Uh, and I think that's what the signing's for because, you know, he wasn't very – he was, like, genuinely bad last year. Uh, older pitcher, probably doesn't have the stuff to really kind of be a competitive on a, on a – in a rotation for a good team. Um, but you know, with this kind of way the season's going and you want that depth in case someone gets sick, or if you want to just be able to piggyback the way you were kind of planning on ahead of time and you just felt like you needed one extra arm and you lost a few when Felix opted out, Hamels got hurt. You know, you don't really know what you're getting from Fulte right now. It's very possible that you, you know, he might, Fulte might not be able to go three innings for a couple, a few starts based on how he's looked at times. So having that depth is going to be important. So, I mean, I was, I was, again, it was one of those signings I was fine with, but I'm not exactly looking for, you know, all-star level contributions out of him yeah that's well said uh and the other thing that was nothing more minor is that jacob webb and phil pfeiffer went to the 45 day il uh webb was a guy who i think a lot of people were projecting to make the 30-man roster so that was the more impactful one there um you know i can't speak to the injury not necessarily a whole lot but just wanted to point that out that uh he was a widely projected member of the bullpen that is not going to be there anymore. We'll see what they do. Obviously, there are options. Um, some of them are not fantastic options, but early on, 
you kind of piece it together and then hopefully everybody stays healthy. And when you cut down, cut down to 26, you kind of have your core guys that you know are going to be around, uh, including Will Smith eventually. That'd be nice. And also Cole Hamels. Um, you know, obviously the, the, all the pitching staff looks worse right now than you're hoping it will be um, because of Hamels and Smith. If those guys are around, that would be helpful. If they're not around, it looks kind of ugly. And by the way, we should at least mention that Mike Fultonavich looked really bad um, so far. I'm not worried necessarily too, too much, but um, that, that's a guy who the Braves suddenly cannot afford to have be bad, especially with Hamels um, out of the mix. You, you trust Sorokin Freed, of course, but if Fulte is not at least solid, you get into some ugly territory in a hurry with the rotation. No, you're right, and I think because we're going to see such an extreme emphasis on pitching in this shortened season, again, you have to have some kind of fallback option, and once the season starts, I just don't know how many people are going to be out there, so for all of those reasons just outlined, I, I think it was kind of an, an obvious move for the front office to bring in somebody. It's not going to be ideal by any means two days before the season, especially with, with a year like this, but you do have to have some kind of insurance. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it with the kind of the 40-man roster crunch and the active roster crunch that they're going to have that, you know, moves like this. You know, like the, the injuries, I think one was like a shoulder contusion. Um, in Webb's case, he's had trouble being healthy even when he was in the minors. Uh, it's a live arm, and it kind of stinks that I really wanted to see him, you know, do his thing this year because I think he can be a good bullpen piece, but you have to stay healthy. And, you know, that's one thing about relievers is that they can really break your heart in terms of injuries just because, you know, their arms aren't really necessarily – and their deliveries aren't necessarily – built to stay on the field for very long. But um, I will say that one thing that Brad and I have talked about on the podcast a bit is that the lack of lefties in that bullpen, um, especially if you're kind of putting Nukem into the, into the rotation, I'm kind of curious as to what's going to happen with, you know, maybe making some spot. If you're making spots on the 40 man to pos- and possibly to kind of stash down there in the player pool to in terms of lefty reliever arms, uh, maybe if that means you have to require a, a 40 man spot for one of the, a type of guy like that, but maybe you don't want to put him on the active monster right away. Um, maybe this is kind of a prelude to that as well. Uh, I'm a little curious to kind of see how that goes. Yeah. And, uh, all right, that's enough. We've, uh, this is supposed to be the prediction show. We had, we had lots of news to cover, but now we will take a quick break and we'll come back. We will offer our fire takes on the upcoming season. So hold on tight. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. 
All right, fellas, it's time. We will work our way down uh, sort of a mini list here. By the way, if you want all of our staff predictions, they are spread out on different posts at TalkingChop.com. You should already be reading everything anyway, but uh, we are we are all firing away on there in terms of predictions, but I feel like we needed to do them here, so we are all here to do that. First things first, I need from both of you your team MVP, and if it's not a pitcher... Also, your MVP pitcher. Um, it feels like these are kind of consensus picks this year. I will say that if you look at our list on the site, but uh, maybe one of you will go rogue. Um, Eric, you take this one first. So my, I'm going to try to not have mine be the same name for both categories uh, because, but I just want to say that you know, for branding purposes, I was tempted to do so. Um, with, uh, with with Fulty, you mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, with Fulty. That's who it was going to be. Got it. Uh, no, uh, um, so for Team MVP, the the easy answer is Ron Lacuni Jr. All right, and I mean, like, and he's not just like a decent pick for the Team MVP. He's a pretty decent pick for the National League MVP award because you know, again, we're talking about one of the bigger, t- better young talents in the entire league. He can do basically on a, anything on a baseball field if that he wants to. You know, that's an easy pick. And I think that the, of the picks that we were making for, amongst the staff, that everyone was kind of agreeing that yeah, that's a very likely thing. Um, I don't think anyone would be super surprised if Freddie Freeman made a made a, a run at that as well. But I wanted to give a little bit of love whenever I did my pick to Ozzy Albie's, a guy that can like for a couple month for a couple months stretches can be on like torrid paces and be one of the better hitters in the entire league. And he has those power binges too, where again, he just kind of, he'll, he'll kind of get all, a lot of his power production in kind of in a month or two. And if he can do that over a shortened season, it would not shock me at all that he ends up being the most valuable player on the team because he's also a guy that steals bases. He plays really good defense, you know, hits for average hits for power. If he again, kind of gets on a roll like that, it would not shock me if that happened at all. Um, again, especially if he can kind of get that swing from the left side figured out, if he ends up making significant strides there, then I think he's a guy you have to really watch out for. Uh, top pitcher, I, I, I'm not going to move off this. It's Mike Soroka. Uh, I probably would have predicted this last year and the year before too, but, um, the year before. Uh, yeah. Wow. Oh, hey, he, he debuted in 2018. I understand. But, uh, most valuable pitcher on the team, 2018, what was he like? 17? Uh, was he? I mean, how old was? I'm, I guess it was. 20. I'm, I'm uh, no, kidding. Well, no, but now I'm wondering. I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure he was 21. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, Freed is an interesting name here, just because if we're talking about like top pitcher and overall value, he's a guy that does get a lot. Of, he can get a lot of strikeouts, and he can have some more dominant looking numbers. Um, and it wouldn't like again. That's not, not a crazy notion that he ends up putting a really good season too. Uh, I just like Soroka better in terms of overall consistently producing. Uh, I, I expect him to play, be one of the few pitchers on the team that's actually going to be pitching deeper in the games, just because he's a super efficient kind of guy. Um, the strikeout numbers might not be like super, you know, he might be st- not be striking out ten guys a game, but he's a guy that's going to be, you know, kind of a low ERA guy. I expect him to finish in the top ten for Cy Young, and you know, if that if that's the what I think he's going to be, then it's a pretty easy pick for top pitcher for me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think um, I love the Ozzy Albies pick, especially I think Ozzy just because he's sandwiched between Ronnie and Freddie, I think he gets overlooked, but he could absolutely be the most valuable player on this team, finish, you know, top five, top seven across the league. Because uh, as you said, we've seen him just go on crazy tears. Um, I'll go with Acuna for the team MVP. Again, it's not exactly bold, but um, I think one thing I really want to see Ronald do, the biggest adjustment left in his game is the strikeout and swing and miss. And again, if he strikes out a little bit, that's perfectly fine. The dude swings so hard. 
he's inevitably going to miss a couple of them. Um, but I, I think you look at his numbers last year, he struck out in about a fourth of his at-bats. If he could get that down to 20% or so uh, and, and even inc- increase his walk rate as well, that was something that went up last year in his second year, which is very encouraging. Um, I think that's just going to take his game to the next level. So I'll take Acuna, who is, I believe, the betting favorite in Vegas for the NL MVP. Um, he has some pretty incredible competition, Yelich and Bellinger, Mookie Betts, who is a very, very rich man now. Um, so I'll, I'll go with Ronnie for team MVP. Um, I'll go with Freed for the pitcher. I think last year, again, you can't go wrong picking Soroka or Freed. Um, the, the talk that Freed has developed his secondary pitches a little bit more is really, really encouraging. Um, you know, if he's able to work in a, a third pitch <clears throat> into the mix because the fastball and curveball are so good, if he's able to work in a, a change up against righties or um, another kind of breaking ball, a slider of sorts. I think the sky's the limit for him. We saw just how good he can be last year when he's healthy. Uh, you hope the blister issues are a thing of the past, but um, again, you, your Braves are in such a such a fantastic situation as a, as a franchise when you're talking about really the four guys we've mentioned: Acuna, Ozzy, Freed, and Soroka. What, who's the oldest one? Freed at like 26. Uh, that is a very very good situation to be in, and um, you hope that these guys are the building blocks for a long time. For sure. And, you know, I think we kind of cover that. Um, I think my on-the-record picks for TalkingChop.com were Ronnie and Soroka because it just feels like those have to be the picks. But, you know, you mentioned Ozzy. I think Freddie is someone who we can't ignore. Freddie Freeman has been the guy for a long time. And yeah. I think Ron, I think Ronald, sure. has higher, Ron, Ronald has higher upside, no question. But it would not. It should not surprise anyone if Freddie is still the best player on the team this year. Um, he is that good. And now that I think it all, all signs point to him being healthy, healthy enough to play. Uh, he's pretty good. We should at least mention him. And then pitching wise, it's, it's a two man race. So I, I think Soroka is the pick, but Freed, you could certainly talk me into Freed having a pretty good chance at that one. Nobody else really does. I don't think I would have probably argued that Hamels had a chance if he was healthy, but he doesn't have a chance now. So there you go. Uh, we've covered our bases. Uh, I'd be pretty surprised if it was not one of those three guys we talked about on the, on the position player side. Um, I'd be, I guess, open to it if someone wanted to go crazy. If uh, Marcelo Zuna wanted to go ahead and go on like a 380 <laughs> terror with 25 homers. I don't know. Something crazy. But I think that'd be, it's three that'd be good. Three man race and a two man race. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious. This next one's probably more challenging, I would say, and definitely more open ended to your own interpretation. So I will start by giving my answer to give you guys some more time. But my the question basically is, like, who is an X-factor or a swing guy that will sort of determine things for the Braves? We, we kind of can bank on the top guys being good, hopefully. But when there were two guys in my head for this, I'll only give one because I'll see if one of you guys wants to give the other one. Um, my answer I alluded to earlier for X-factor is Mike Fultonavich. Um, I talked about this earlier, but I think he really is – extremely important to the roster this year for obvious reasons. Uh, the Hamels injury, the fact that the rotation is not necessarily a strength. I think Soroka and Freed are good, but they're not Jacob deGrom at this point in time. With all respect to Eric, I don't think Soroka is Jacob deGrom or Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole right now. Is he capable I, I, of I being that? Wow. Sure. I, I, won't, I, I, won't, I won't accept a slander. I understand. It's not slander. He's really good. Uh, but, you know, those two guys are a perfectly solid one-two, but they're not going to blow you away compared to the other contenders necessarily. And I think the rotation is not uh, super deep with Cole Hamill's uncertainty. And you have Sean Newcomb as a guy who we 
are a little, a little bit uncertain on. So I think Fulte has a lot of pressure to be pretty good. The start before the season started has not been great, uh, but that's okay. I'm, And honestly, this applies both ways. I think X-Factor is important to build in some downside and some upside. If Fulte is good, you feel even better about the Braves. If Fulte is bad, it starts to feel a little bit shaky. So that's kind of the definition for me of what this actually is. Yeah. And I think Fulte is my pick for this as a result. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's everything gets magnified when it's like literally the first baseball game that's been on TV in months, right? Um, Sure, if if Fultonevich's velocity is down in a week after his start in Tampa Bay, then I think people can really start to worry, freak out, whatever it is. Um, You know, it was a steady rain all last night. I'm not making excuses for him because— He didn't seem uh, worried either, by the way, about the the velocity. He kind of downplayed the velocity thing. Yeah, and I know, you know, he's he he has his his flaws and he's a little immature and you would wish he would grow up a little bit. He was going at people on Twitter including uh I think Mark Bowman wrote a a pretty strong headline against Fulty and and he responded um but alas, I I think that there's a lot of outcomes this year. Um one thing I think in my pick for this is is Dansby Swanson. And I think we have seen Dansby go on tears for stretches of the time. Um, it's easy to forget before the heel injury last year, he was on pace for about 30 homers in a true breakout year, the year that everybody was hoping that Dansby would have. Um, it's a small sample, but he's had some good reviews. And in summer camp, he's looked pretty good. Um, and again, we've seen that's really been his MO his entire career. He, he hasn't been able to put it together for a full year, but he's had months at a time where he's been a really, really good hitter. If he's able to be that hitter for the Braves, batting fifth, sixth, seventh, wherever it may be, it's only going to extend that lineup that much more. So I'm going to go with Dansby. Before Eric answers, that was my other pick. <laughs> and, 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 and that's who I'm going with, too. Uh, I, I thought a little bit about like guys like Travis Darneau and, you know, like kind of just guys in the order. Like Ender and Ciarte is another one. Like if he ends up turning into a pretty decent hitter, uh, all of a sudden things pretty change, change pretty dramatically for the Braves. Um, but in Dansby's case, it's a situation where right now he – feels like probably the worst hitter and one of the worst hitters in the lineup for sure, if not the worst, uh, particularly against righties. And, you know, obviously a very good defensive player, but he's also a situation where, you know, the guy's really talented. You've seen him be really good. And if at the end of this season, Dansby has like a WRC plus of like one Oh five against righties. I'm actually pretty confident that the Braves win the division. Because that's like the kind of production that they need against righties. And if the, he's hitting that well, that means he's probably hitting better than that against lefties. And he's he's hit better than that against lefties in his career, too. You know, if he can be a above average or even better, you know, obviously better than that hitter for this Braves lineup, you know, with the kind of power he has, with the kinds of things he can do on the base pads, like it seems like it opens up a lot of things, especially if they kind of keep him towards the bottom of the lineup to where once that lineup turns over, all of a sudden Ronnie has guys a guy on base that can cause absolute havoc, and that might make you how, you know, how the rest of your guys get pitched to, changes everything. You know, with the DH in play, and if Dansby is doing things at the bottom of that lineup, all of a sudden you can really kind of open things up. So, uh, I mean, again, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily predicting that this will happen because he's a guy that has both broken our hearts with just not being good, but also not being able to stay on the field. Uh, which is a particularly troublesome thing this year. Uh, when you any time, amount of time you miss is going to be amplified in terms of percentage of the season that you've lost. But if you know he's the guy that like a lot of things can turn on. And if Dansby gets going, then you know all of a sudden there's a lot less pressure on our parts of that lineup. 
I, I totally agree. And you know, you mentioned a couple of guys. I'm glad you brought up Darno. He's someone I just haven't talked about a lot, but he could be interesting if he is the the best possible version of himself. And Ender's a great answer as well, uh, especially now um, that Puig is not there. And uh, Ender, I think, has some pressure as well. He's kind of like Fulty in that. Uh, his role seems more prominent than maybe the Braves wanted it to be. I think they just, they desperately need Ender to be pretty good. Um, if Ender's bad, it's not great because they just don't have anybody to put there. I know they can play Ronald Acuna in center field, but they don't have the uh, the depth in the corners that they, that they thought they might have um, at some point in time. So that's another name that I at least consider. Yeah. But the top and two Ender, is the top two. I think Ender's a good call. I was going to mention him if nobody else did. I mean, Again, who knows what he's going to be like this year, but if they get Ender in the second half, the guy who he's been, and that's just who he is. I think after six or seven years now, that's just his M.O., a guy who starts slow and gets hot over the summer months. Who knows what he's going to be like, but if he can give the Braves even average production in that lower part of the order, turning it over to Acuna and Ozzy and Freddie, if he can be a 100 WRC plus guy with his great defense, especially since he will presumably only be seeing righties, which he's much better against, I think Ender can be a really valuable piece. Yep. And if he and it and if he doesn't, then Christian Pache is right there. And you know, as soon as he's healthy, he, I don't I don't think that Ender's going to have a, a a particularly long leash with that kind of talent sitting there waiting there already on the forty man roster. We're gonna yeah, have to uh, yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to argue about that at a later date. Otherwise, that, that's a twenty minute conversation about what they might do with Pache, <laughs> um, and we'll do that later on. Okay. Now for what you're all waiting to, for. Brad wants to trade him. I can already hear it coming. No, that's not. That's not. Well, I'm usually in favor of trading prospects, but no, I'm I'm on board with Pacha. I trust you uh, on these things. Um, it's time to give win totals and nationally East picks. I don't want you to give uh, any playoff predictions just yet. We'll end with that. But uh, in the process, I guess we'll start with Eric. This this terrifies me. Um, give me your win total. And uh, in conjunction with that, give me your NL East finishing order, uh, which is, uh, it's really hard to do this, especially with 60 games, I will say that. But uh, go ahead, Eric, give me your win total. Uh, so for the third consecutive season, I will pick the Braves to win the division. Uh, the, the, the win total two for I settled two. on. Uh, for, um, for the win total that I settled on this year, I, I'm with you. It's so hard to even come up with a number that I'm super happy about. Um, I So I kind of just went with my top end. Like, I'm not comfortable with predicting any higher than this, and I went with 35 and 25. Um, and I, I mean, some people are like, you know, like some people can – one team's going to go crazy and win 40 games or whatever, and I think that's going to happen. But not – I don't think it's coming out of this division, for starters – um, when, when you're looking at having to play against all these other NL East teams, a lot of which are good, and then the other third of your games are against AL East teams, most of which are good, um, I don't feel particularly confident in that guess. I wouldn't be shocked if like just barely above 500 won this division. So again, I, I would, if there's some variance in that, I, I could see it happening. But you know, about 35 wins is about like what I think is like the peak, just because, and it's strictly because of the schedule. Like I think that there's just going to be a lot of you know two one series wins, some splits things like that that are going to kind of define the season. Um, so I've got the Braves first. Uh, then I have Washington. I still think they're very good. Their rotation is particularly, uh, particularly strong, especially if Max Scherzer kind of, kind of get his late season, whatever was going on with him health-wise, kind of behind him this year. Uh, I do think Philly's the third best team. Uh, they have, they, they're also a team that could, like, they got hot with, you know, the, come some of the bats that they have. Uh, combined with what I think can be a decent rotation in a, in a short season. I don't think it's a good rotation over 
162 games, but maybe over 60 game season is pretty good. Uh, and maybe the changes in the management make a big, make a big improvement for them. The Mets, uh, they have not been able to demonstrate to me at all that they can stay healthy for longer than a week at a time. Uh, and true to form, Marcus Stroman did get hurt. And now they're down another arm and they're already down Syndergaard and they lost Wheeler and free agency to the Phillies, uh, which kind of leaves Jacob deGrom, who's amazing, and then some aging pieces on that lineup uh, with Pete Alonso and McNeil kind of being the notable exceptions to that. So I think that they're still a pretty good team and they're, I feel like they're more in that spoiler role than they are going to be like realistically going to be at the top of the division. Uh, and then the Marlins who are going to be not terrible, but certainly not good. Uh, and I have them coming in last. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the Marlins are a year or two away, but you look at them just, you looked at the lineup the other night, not to turn this into a Marlins podcast, but they are on their way now. They have to execute. They have to keep developing the young guys. But alas, I think they're in fifth this year. Um, I'll take the Braves to win the division again. Um, I think I I could totally – I tweeted this the other day, but I really think the top four teams in the division, the Braves, Nats, Phillies, and Mets, um, you know, if you told me right now the Braves are going to finish in fourth this year, first of all, it's probably a difference of like a game or two, so don't jump off a bridge. Um, but secondly, I think that there's really just not a ton separating. I think the Mets pitching staff is really going to take a hit. Um, I, I think the Mets are going to finish fourth. Um, I'm going to actually take the the Phillies to finish ahead of the Nationals. Um, I, I look at the Nationals lineup. I just don't like it very much. I don't like their bullpen. I think they have three really good starters, but even with the time off, they had such heavy workloads last year. A little worried about that. So I'll take the Braves over the Phillies by I don't know, a game, maybe two. And then the Nats, the Mets, again, I just, I think the Nats or the Mets rather losing really within the last 12 months, they've lost three fifths of their rotation. Um, I guess Stroman could come back at some point, but if if he's going to miss at least a couple of weeks with a calf tear, um, you know, you miss a month, you've missed half the season. So um, I'll take that. I'll, I'll say the Braves final record is, oh, I don't know, 34 and 26. Um, again, just edging Philly and, and Washington by a game or two. People are going to get really mad at you for saying the Braves can finish fourth, but you're absolutely right about that. Um, yeah. And it's not it's not like a crazy thing to say. I'm not picking them to do that, um, and that, that wouldn't be my pick under any circumstances here. But, you know, the gap between those top four teams is not that big, and in a 60-game season, the variance is just going to be bigger than you might think it is. Like, someone that is good on paper that we trust – is not going to be very good in the first 60 games of a the season. They might go 30 yeah. and 30. Um, and that's just kind of the reality. Like if the Braves went 30 and 30, it would not be fun. It would feel disappointing, but it wouldn't be outside the realm of like realistic possibility yeah. because of this sample all. size. It just, yeah. it's just not. So there's a lot, there's a lot of volatility here. Um, just want to say that out loud. Um, with that said, I am also picking the Braves to win the division. I think the Braves, I think the Braves are the best team. People that listen to this podcast will know that I would not say that um, if I didn't believe it to be true. I am not hesitant to pick against the Braves if necessary, um, but I think they actually are the best team on paper. Um, you know, my skepticism is rising a little bit with the rotation the more I look at it, but. Because I actually, when I submitted my picks to Talking Chop uh, in terms of the written content, I had, I had the Mets second. I would not pick the Mets second, the Mets second now with, with Stroman's injury. That scares me enough where I would ding them. Um, but I had them I had them next, and I would push them down. I don't really buy the Phillies. I don't know what it is about the Phillies that is kind of scaring me off a little bit. And the Nats are still good, um, but not as good on paper as they were 
a year ago. So uh, I think ultimately I would go at this very moment, I would go Braves, Nats, Mets, Phillies, Marlins. Um, but the gap between those is not huge. And honestly, the Marlins should be a little bit more competitive than they were, at least than they have been recently. They're not going to be good, but the Marlins might go like 27 and 33. That wouldn't like blow me away. Yeah. And that, that seems it's, it's going to be crazy if someone wins the division and has like a five game lead over the Marlins, like one in five <laughs> could be a five game lead in the, in the NL East. That's actually in play. So yeah. I don't know. Long it's winding road. Crazy. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it's, it is the exact opposite of what baseball is, right? It's a long yep. grind, 162 games over six months. Yeah. If you win if you win six out of 10 games, guess what? You're probably, and you do it over six months, you're probably in the playoffs. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Well, last year was the, last year, last year was the prime example. Like how much yeah. fun did we all make of the nationals and the nationals like had a terrible 60 game stretch. And the yeah. nationals also had an incredible 60 game stretch last year. Like if you just time it wrong, 60 games is less than is, you know, is significantly less than half of a, of a normal season. Like even the worst teams in the league have like thirty and thirty stretches over the course of a season. I mean, m- mm. maybe not like the absolute dregs like the Orioles have been recently, but like a run of the mill bad team, a seventy two win team usually goes like thirty and thirty in a sixty game stretch across the yep. season, yep. and we just don't know. Well, and it's it's compounded by I mean the kind of the elephant in the room here with COVID nineteen. Oh yeah. I mean, it, well, we we talk about these top four teams like it's so close. What are the odds the Nationals make the playoffs if at any point in the season, even if he's asymptomatic, Juan Soto tests positive? Well, and, and for them, it's well, it's almost they're, they're they're such a stars and scrubs team at the moment. Yeah, like that's, but that's what. But I mean, or the Mets and Jacob Degrom or Pete Alonso. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, like all those, like you're oddly, if you lose one guy, even to being asymptomatic, that he's probably out. You know, he's. Uh, probably two weeks. And by the way, the Braves, are the, the Braves are the same. Like the Braves yep. have, the Braves have uh, defined uh, stars. <laughs> and if they lose one yep. of them for any length of time, it stings. Yep. yep. Ronnie. I mean, I, I mean, since Freddie's already been sick, I'm, I mean, we're kind of getting to some science that I frankly don't understand, but I feel pretty good that Freddie won't get sick again. But it could, um, could be an injury though. Like not even, yeah. it doesn't have to be COVID either. There's still, <laughs> there's still injuries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Freddie getting hit in the hand again. Yeah. That'd be great. So yeah, all, all that to say, like, there's just a lot of volatility here, and that we, I think you still have to use your brain when doing predictions. And I'm not going to just pick stuff to pick stuff, but uh, I think we did a pretty good job of laying out how much volatility there is in this small sample size. The only thing, and this is even probably less, probably less confident about this than I would be normally. The only thing I'm confident in in baseball really is that the Dodgers are going to win the NL West again because <laughs> the Ooh. Dodgers are incredible. Like the Dodgers are an absolute juggernaut. Um, yeah. But even then one, one slump and you're in some trouble. So I don't know. And no, they're paying it, Mookie so much money. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, well, my, my final record, I, I never said it. Uh, I picked 34 and 26, which is like pretty optimistic. Actually people, it's funny. I think I was one of the lower ones on our team, on our team wide talking shop predictions thing but if you look at the metrics like baseball perspectives is like 30 and a half wins fan graphs is 32 wins 538 is 32 wins like i think t- people know that the braves are pretty good but 34 and 26 is like pretty optimistic and I- we had some like 39 win predictions and stuff like that that is like obviously within the realm of possibility but not even the dodgers i would i pick to go 40 and 20 like that's that's a ridiculous pace are they capable of it 
Sure they are. But picking someone to win 40 games is not probably the uh, the math thing to do <laughs> in this pandemic field season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's going to be wild. I mean, again, I think that's just, as I said, it, it's going to be so crazy. A team loses four games in a row in normal year. Okay, whatever. They're in a slump. That sucks. It's annoying as a fan. You lose four games in a row this season. It is a, I mean, that's, that's almost what, that's almost 10% of your year right there. Um, yeah, a four game winning, a four game losing streak is the equivalent of like a ten game losing streak normally, and that yep. is not something that good teams have usually. No, no. Um, before we get out of here, I have to get your playoff predictions with all of what we just said, which is it's now hilarious to now give playoff predictions, but I feel like we have to do that. I will, uh, I'll do, I'll, I'll save mine for the end. So Scott, you go first, and then Eric, and then I will uh, I'll close that with my hot take on the on the playoff predictions. I know, and by the way, these are all going to be wrong. These are all going to be wrong. I will take. Here I go picking the Braves to win a playoff series. I'm going to take the Braves over. I think the Cincinnati <laughs> Reds. Are, I'll take the Reds to win the Central. Um, I like that pitching staff. I think their lineup's good. I think they really benefit from the DH and. Just don't really buy the Cardinals. Uh, I don't buy the Brewers, and and I think the Cubs just don't have the pitching. So I'm going to take the Reds. Um, I'll take the Braves over the Reds, and then I will have the Dodgers uh, probably doing unsightly things to the Braves in a short series to go to the World Series. Um, and I will say the Dodgers finally get their, their title, even if it's a shortened year, and they beat... Uh, I don't know. I'll take the I'll take Dodgers Yankees for all the chalk in the world. I like that. Um, I actually have the I actually picked the Brewers to win the division because I'm mainly picking the best manager with also the best player, uh, and I think Christian Yelich is is very good, uh, and I like kind of what Council's been doing there. So um, I don't feel particularly strongly about that. The that that mess of a division uh i do agree that Cincinnati. i think actually the cubs finished third in that division because i really like what cincinnati's doing too and yeah, it wouldn't if you shock think, me if you think the east is a mess the central is yeah. uh, perhaps more of a yeah, mess but it, <laughs> yeah yeah it's the, the it, again any of those four teams could feasibly win the division but I, I right now my i'm leaning towards the brewers and the reds being at the top two and then the reds kind of getting that that spot um for the wild card uh and i, I honestly think scott Scott and I are I think are on the same page in terms of I think it's going to be the Braves and the Dodgers then end up in the in the LCS. Um, obviously, uh, the notion of the Braves winning a playoff series is a optimistic one, uh, considering what happened to them in the a, a series that they absolutely should have won against St. Louis. Uh, some un, untimely injuries combined with some other things not going right, including a game that we're not going to ever speak of ever again. Um, but uh, I, I do think that they finally do win a playoff series because I just think the team's too good. And I think that if we're right that the Braves come out of this division as the winners, that that is a pretty battle-tested team because this schedule is legitimately hard. Um, and then, unfortunately, I, I do tend to agree. I, I think that the Braves can be fairly – they can contend with the Dodgers in terms of like they're not going to just get blown off the field. Uh, and I think they can win a couple games, but you know that Dodgers team just feels like to be really, really good to me. Uh, and it would require some guys to get like hurt and or really surprise me with how not good they are um, to kind of change my mind on that. Uh, and I have the Dodgers winning the World Series as well. And I'm honestly don't think it really matters who comes out of the American League. I just think that's what's going to happen. Um, both both the Yankees and the Astros I think will be good, but overall I think it's going to be the Yankees getting beat up by the Dodgers. 
chalk all over the place. I understand it too because it's probably what I would say. Um, before I get to my pick, I, my point about the central a second ago about about it being a mess. Here's an illustration of that. Uh, Five thirty eight puts out their pro- their projections by basically, and you know they, they do the records and playoff odds, all that stuff. They also do team ratings, and they rank them from one to thirty. Uh, I'm not kidding when I tell you that the four teams in the central are side by side in their team rankings. <laughs> yeah, Cub- Cubs Reds Cub- Cubs Reds Brewers Cardinals are four in a row in their one to thirty rankings. So that tells you how crazy the mm-hmm. NL Central might be. Okay. I, yeah. I think Fangraphs um, is pretty similar too. Sorry to cut you off. I, I no. think Fangraphs has them all, but then I don't know sp- spots ten to seventeen in their projected wins or something like that. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. So uh, good luck picking that division with any confidence. Uh, I too, I can't believe I'm doing this. I, I too am picking the Braves to win a playoff series. Um, by the way, for the first time since 2001, there are college students who were not born when the Braves last won a playoff series. Uh. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a real thing that happened. Uh, 2001, I uh, was a freshman in high school. Um, I feel like Brad's saying this because people can't tweet angry tweets at him. Yeah, I'm still banned, so anyway. Uh, or locked, or however you want to say it. I guess I'm not suspended, it's just locked. I have no idea what's going on. Um, anyway, give me the Braves over the Cubs in the NLDS. I picked the Cubs by the narrowest of margins in the Central um, and I think the Braves will play the central winner because the Dodgers are the number one overall seed. And honestly, like you both said, the Dodgers are beatable. It's baseball. Anyone is beatable. I don't think that anybody can make an argument to pick anyone but the Dodgers to win the win the National League. Like you know, what I'm, you, I, hope that, I, hope, I hope that makes sense to everybody. I feel like obviously no team is unbeatable. But if you look at the rosters and are honest with yourself and pick anyone but the Dodgers to win the National League, you're, you're kind of being silly, I think. So they're that much better. Uh, and the, the uh, metrics back that up too. Even then, they only have like an 85 to 90% playoff odds. That's still really like obscenely high. But because of the small sample size, alas. Uh, but yeah, give me the Braves over the Cubs, the Dodgers over the wildcard winner of the Reds, and... The, I don't know. I mean, I had the Mets, um, but the Mets without Stroman. I guess the Reds and the Nats will play in the wild card game. I don't know. And it then, is worth uh, mentioning, uh, really quick that there was a, we didn't bring this up, but they're now all of a sudden at the last hour talking about expanding the playoffs. Uh, was that, was it, was, was that a Hayman report? Uh, I don't know who it was. I Not think maybe it was Bob Nightingale, but anyway. But just that might happen. Yeah, I'm glad you said up. that. Yeah. Um, and we don't know if that's going to happen, but that, the original discussion about expanding the playoffs was to 16 teams. I, I said at the time that I hated it if they kept it for the future, but I would be okay with it if they did it for this year. I still feel that same way. I don't want them to do it now because we we, we've all kind of trained our brains to have the normal scenario, but I won't be as mad as I would be if they kept it in the future. But... Yeah, that's now on the table, apparently. And I, I did find out it was a John Hammond report. Uh, I will hold my thoughts on <laughs> That's that. your boy. Your boy. Um, yeah, and Dodgers over Braves. Uh, I'm sorry, Braves fans. I can't pick the Braves to beat the Dodgers. But listen, all three of us picked the Braves to win a playoff series. And again, it's been 19 years. So we're all being optimistic on this podcast. This podcast is known for its optimism above all else. <laughs> and uh, we're leaning into that today. Um, we're due. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? I mean, baseball's happening. We're recording this, and again, like, the Braves are going to be in action in, like, 
40 hours or so from this point in yeah. time. Uh, a nice afternoon start in ESPN broadcast, I believe, on Friday, yep. as well as Sunday. Sunday night, Sunday night is the standalone slot, but uh, Friday afternoon as well with one of the better pitching matchups in the entire league on Friday. So there you go. Yeah, and not only that, but they're on ESPN on Friday and Sunday, and they are the only one o'clock or uh, four o'clock game uh, afternoon game on of anybody. So they all eyes as as everybody turns on sports for the first time in months. I guess unless you're a soccer fan, um, everybody turns on sports is going to be front and center for the Braves right off the bat. So um, thankful, I guess, to just kind of wrap up. Uh, you know, thankful to have baseball back. I was never sure it was ever going to happen this year, but. Um, I am bummed, Brad, that we never got the uh, favorite recipes podcast as as Eric brought up. But uh, um, happy to have hey, baseball still, back. There, fingers there's crossed. There's still time. Yeah, still time. Um, fingers crossed, we'll we'll be able to uh, be enjoy baseball here in the next 48 hours and uh, <laughs> never have to do the aforementioned favorite recipes podcast. We hope. Oh we hope. no! It's I'm, I'm, the people are going to ask for it now. We've already <laughs> we've teased it too much. Uh, yeah, uh, I just want to echo like how thankful I am to all of our readers too. Uh, this yep. has been a very challenging few months for us in terms of content, uh, since no one really knew what was going on or what was, you know, like what to expect. You know, this wasn't like covering a strike where we have news about what's going to, you know, like, you know, what the labor process and stuff like that. Uh, it was particularly difficult the last few months just in terms of coming up with content and making sure that we had things for people to listen to and write. And we really appreciate, we appreciate each and every one of you for continuing to come to the site um, and, you know, and support us. It's been, that was a pretty big deal for a lot of reasons, if for no other reason that <laughs> at least helped our mental, <laughs> mental well-being that we were doing something that we felt like people were still enjoying. So thank you. Um, also, you know, I'm just I'm really happy just to have baseball back. It's a big part of my life. It's always it's been a big part of my life since I was seven years old, and it's going to continue to be a big part of my life. And you know, not having it, not not even having like labor negotiations to yell about for a while there. You know, fortunately, Manfred decided to give us some reasons to yell at him. You know, that, that having stuff like that to talk about is very comforting to me. Uh, and my last thought is, please wear your masks. Just wear them. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> there you go just 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 do that uh yeah i will echo all of that thank you very very much to uh, both of you for joining me on the podcast so frequently uh and yeah thanks to everybody that's listened and subscribed please go ahead and do that click the subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice keep raintalkingchalk.com and uh, we'll be here with regularity throughout the season. We're all very excited about baseball. We all hope that it's going to be done safely and everyone's going to be uh, in good shape as this thing progresses. But, uh, yeah, we'll be here. So uh, keep it locked, subscribe, and we'll see everybody after the first weekend series. That's It's happening in the very near future, so stay tuned for all of that.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 